Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Carl Wonders. I'm Thad Haight. Today we are going to be on Her Majesty's Secret Service. The first and only George Lazenby starring James Bond film. But apparently he had a contract for seven films. Yeah. And, you know, the stories are out there that he kind of had people whispering in his ear and told him to get out. Uh, if you've seen, if you ever seen any photos of him at the uh, premiere of this film, he looks quite different and very hippie. And uh, I think he did a lot to sabotage his career. I think uh, Peter Hunt, the director, uh, didn't really care for him that much. And it's just, I think it's an unfortunate thing that he only did one. I think it's uh, an interesting little uh, bit of film here. I'm okay with him only doing one. Okay. Uh, so, Honor Majesty's Secret Service was released in 1969. It's the first and only Bond film directed by Peter Hunt, who was a editor previous to this. He was responsible for editing all the other Bond films, pretty much. Uh, it was written yet again by Richard Maybaum. And, again, it's the first and only Bond film to star George Lazenby as James Bond. Now, I think when we talked in our first show, this was really the one where we definitely went into this with differing opinions about the film um mm -hmm. why don't you go ahead first what did, what did you how was your viewing of this film going into it and did your opinion change at all when you watched it for the show uh, my opinion didn't change too much i had just recently watched this within the past year to see if my opinion would change on it actually so at this point it was sort of a refresh of that so um i'm more or less the same person i was a year ago so i had mostly the same opinions uh, I think it has the bones of being a good movie. There are parts that I like. I really do not care for Lazenby's portrayal. Okay. Uh, coming off of Connery, it's so different from Connery's. And, I mean, that's not necessarily a problem, because Moore is different from Connery. Dalton is much different, etc., etc. But it just feels like a step down. Uh... Also, and I think this is partially through due to the costuming of <laughs> late 1960s, but Connery's Bond feels timeless, other than the various problematic things that we've talked about for the last six weeks. Uh, Lazenby's Bond feels very much like something from the late 60s. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, his hair, the way he dresses at times, the way all the people frankly dress in this movie mm -hmm. and i think that's something that's gonna hold back in a way some of this these films probably through the middle of the Moore era um i think the first one that yeah. really strikes me as almost being not of a specific time might be uh the spy who loved me and i may be wrong i may notice things going into it uh certainly the music aside because that's very 70s disco which i love <laughs> by the way um but yeah, like his his weird turtleneck. Well, nobody does it better. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a great song. Um, it is. But like Lazenby's or La Lazenby's, uh, his turtle. What is it? Is it Lazenby I think or Lazenby? I think you started yeah, with Lazenby, so I was copying that, that you. That doesn't mean I'm saying it right. <laughs> I've always heard Lazenby. I don't know where Lazenby's coming from, frankly. Um, <clears throat> okay. But yeah, like his his. Uh, I think now we should say it differently each time. I mean, he, he says things differently each time he says them, too. It's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it's not That's him true. saying it. We'll get to that. Um, yeah, like, his, his ruffled tuxedo shirts, uh, there's... He, he has... He goes to play... Okay, what the hell is with the shirt? <laughs> I don't know. I like how it's all see-through except, like, the middle stripe. 
know, right? <laughs> he goes to golf in this amazing, like, brown suit with an orange turtleneck. Uh, he wears ascot. You know, it's just very of the period. And there's nothing wrong with that. And one of the things that bugs me sometimes about people, you know, reviewing films from from the past is they say, oh, that movie is so 1970s. It's like, well, of course it's 1970s. That's when they made it. Uh, but it does, I agree, it does date things. And I, and I think you see that mm-hmm. with television, too, where if you watch, oh yeah, like, uh, a TV show from the 60s, you could, for whatever reason, the 60s, if you take the hippie stuff out of the way, I think a lot of that tends to translate really well into some kind of timeless feel to things, whereas the 70s, just the colors and the patterns and that sort of thing just is so entrenched in that era of time. Yeah. Uh, I remember commenting about this... Um... Last year, I did a rewatch of the Godfather films, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember commenting at the time that, due to like the cyclical nature of fashion, that the outfits in the Godfather Part 1 don't look very dated, but then you get to the Godfather Part 2, yes. and you're just like, oh my yeah. god. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe we will get orange text orange uh, turtlenecks come back again i hope not but <laughs> god i hope not <laughs> yeah it, it was yeah that period of time is interesting as far as fashion and we i think we both m- made a few notes in that <laughs> yeah yeah so i i hold this film in much higher regard i think than you i think it's fair to say uh it's always been one of my favorite bond films and i say that fully acknowledging that there is definitely a few problems story-wise in here for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of problems in the way the film is made. Um, there are scenes that are shot that are beautiful. And then there are other bits mm-hmm. that seem kind of sloppily done to me. Whether it's the editing, it's sometimes the ADR when they re-record lines of dialogue because of whatever reason they couldn't get a clean recording. Some of it is... They sure do love oh, their ADR. I think, it's, I think it's the British film industry in general that does this a lot. But there's a lot of times when... People's mouths don't match the words that are coming out of them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, weirdly, some of the more successful stuff they do is when they do dub Lazenby later. Uh, his facial expressions are a little odd at times, but the words tend to match up his mouth to, for the most part. But there are other times when it's just not even close. Uh, for whatever reason, they fell in love with undercranking the action film action parts of this film. Yeah. Or even moments... You know, it's way in the film, but there's a moment when he puts on his ski goggles and leaves, and it's undercrank for no reason, and it's just so distracting to me. Um, but I really do enjoy the core of the story. Uh, it's one of my favorite books of the series that Fleming wrote. Um, one thing that bugs me a little bit about this movie is not really... It's, it's the producer's fault more than anything else, in that... I think it was a mistake to do this film knowing they had so many other films to do after this one. Uh, Just because the way this film ends, it really is almost the beginning of the end of a character for me. And and in the books, that's how that works. Um, Last week, we talked about how there's a massive plot hole in this film, which is Mm -hmm. why doesn't Blofeld recognize Bond when they meet? Well, apparently they were going to... They they ended up cutting the plot, but they were going to show that Bond had plastic right. surgery, which is a dumb idea. But again, you have to think like, the... yes, I'm glad they cut that. That would have been but, awkward. I mean, let's think about it for a second. Is can you think of another time 
and and obviously it's not the franchise it is now but has there been a time other than maybe doctor who where they've replaced the lead actor of a series the way they do here and i and, I, and i'm mixing up my dates i don't even know uh, if doctor who this, was no was when doctor who falls i think doctor who had been on the air before this doctor who would have already been to the second doctor okay. by now i think because nobody nobody knew that this was going to work nobody thought we're going to continue making these movies with a different actor playing the same guy um you know i i do agree with your assessment of of george lazenby i think you know for the most part i think he does fine he let's leave the undercranking issues aside i think he's fine in the physical stuff i think he does the fight stuff reasonably well um and for whatever reason, I think he plays a more natural or human version of James Bond than Sean Connery was. I have a hard time seeing Sean Connery doing some of the more personal scenes that Lazenby does here. And I don't. I'm not saying he does. I'm not saying he pulls yeah, them no, all off because right sometimes he doesn't. Uh, and I attribute that to the fact that he wasn't really an actor at the time he got this role. But I think he imbues the sense of vulnerability into james bond that we didn't see before yeah no i think you are right on that another thing i think they did that was clever was you know you get the new you get the new gun barrel with the new guy doing it um and then you you don't get bond for a little while and when you do get bond he's kind of obscured for a bit what you do get is the usual gang you get you get a, you, you open mm -hmm. up for the first time you open up at mi6 headquarters the you get the universal export sign, and then you get a scene with Q and M. Peter Hunt, the director, was on the records for thinking that Bond was getting ridiculous with the gadgets, which is why there's the radioactive lint scene, uh, <laughs> which I've always liked radioactive lint, frankly. Uh, it almost makes sense to me that you could track somebody that way with it. I don't know, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I had the same issue as with that other radioactive tracker is that if it's putting off enough of radiation that you can track it from far away, it's going to kill the person. Well, that's why I was always wondering when, when Q says it's good for anti-personnel and location fixing. So I'm like, oh, so you could track the guy until he <laughs> dies from radiation exposure, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. So so we get the scene of, of Bond tracking. Uh, he's So yeah. wait a second. He was saying, so he put in the radioactive lint as a gag because he doesn't like the gadgets. And yet we have the combination safecracker photocopier. Sure. Which, you know, we'll get. Because we'll, that's a totally rational We'll, we'll get to that, but at least it's slightly more <laughs> realistic, I guess, than the little dinky safecracker thing that he used in the previous film. That's true. That he moved from the pocket of one jacket to another. He did. Yeah, so we get the opening scene on the beach. Yeah, and which is this? This to me terrible is, is, day for night. Just right. the worst. So I was about to say, like this to me perfectly encapsulates the film in a way because you get really good and really bad all at once. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Why didn't they just say it happened during the day? Uh, th yeah, that's a great question because it would have made things a lot easier. And I even wrote that down for the scene later where we have the similar problem where it could have been daytime. Uh, I mean, clearly, when he's picking her up out of the beach, there's that nice sunshine on on the, the the shoreline there that you get. So yeah, and you see shadows under the boats, and yep, yeah, yep. This is this is straight out of the book, really. This this opening bit, and 
is it possible to commit suicide by walking into the ocean like that? Does that work? I guess if you get taken out to sea. Yeah, no, I guess it could work. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a really awful way to do it, though, I think. Yeah, you would think so. And then, you know, these these guys come up on the beach. And I've never figured out if, are they, we we meet him later, are they Draco's men? Are they just random people following? I believe they're Draco's men. They're, like, acting as her bodyguards or something. Because they're being really rough on Tracy here. Yeah, they are. But I think they're supposed to be Draco's men. Yeah, okay. But anyway, so we get this fight scene on the beach, which, if the damn thing weren't undercranked, I think it would be great. And like, it, if it weren't day for night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if the way it was shot had been done better. I mean, you get this this interesting uh-huh. bit where they're kind of in, in and out of the water a bit because they're right where the surf comes up, um, which I think works well. The, the fight scene itself, like, it's pretty brutal, actually, when you see Bond mm-hmm. wailing away at this guy and drown, trying to drown him under the water and stuff. Um, you know, he eventually fends them off. And I do like the bit about Tracy just taking his car and saying, the heck, I, heck with this, I'm out of here. And which is what leads to the, this never happened to the other fellow line. Yeah, that uh, was a good line. Because clearly, yeah, clearly the expectation here is I just saved your life. So we're going to go have a little bit of fun somewhere. And she just leaves him hanging there with her, with her shoes in his hand. Yeah, he was hoping to go make Bulu. <laughs> yeah. No one makes Bulu except in Jamaica, though. <laughs> Although, interestingly, I could swear that the guy that holds the gun on him is 80 yard by the same guy that was on the boat in Jamaica. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you get you get the great fourth wall breaking line, uh, and then you get a cut to the, to guess what, an instrumental title sequence. Yeah. But this one is one I knew I knew was mm-hmm. happening. I yeah. did call this one out in the very first episode. I really love this title sequence. It's uh, the the music is great. I like how we see the the shots from all the previous films. I, mm-hmm. I do really enjoy these titles. Yeah, I get a sense that they're really, you know, emphasizing the whole thing. This is really the same guy. This is really the adventures that he had. And, and we're really doing another Bond film. And it's really, the, you know, it, it's not a knockoff. Mm-hmm. This isn't, you know, they're not predicting Never Say Never Again down the road or anything like that. So this is really, continuity-wise, the same person, which I think is is smart. Yeah. Uh, and they, they do a good job of that with a little scene later on with uh, when he's kind of going through his desk and finds the little mementos and stuff yeah Yeah. and yeah so we get the 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 titles um and then you know bond's on vacation here or or something i i don't understand and it's 
It's explained better in the book, frankly. I don't think he's technically on vacation. Uh, at least, based, it seems like he's supposed to be still out, off looking for Blofeld. Mm-hmm. At least that's what we imply from dialogue later. Yeah, he's doing an interesting job of it, frankly. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, one thing that actually... And the book is set up the same way, where you have the beach scene, and then you have the scene at the casino and stuff, and the hotel. Mm-hmm. In the book, it's the, the beach scene is actually contemporaneous to the story and then this stuff is all flashback okay because what happens in in the book like he doesn't beat up the guys on the beach so much he doesn't there's obviously not the line what happens is it goes from that to the scene later on when he gets led by the the guys with a knife to get in the car and go meet draco and while he's in the car he's thinking back to how he got to this point which is when he meets tracy at the hotel and all this stuff because I've always been confused about the, like, who knows who and where stuff here. Um, yeah. Bond and Tracy are acting like they haven't met each other before at this point. And they really Except haven't. Except that they have. I mean, she does a little, because she does mention, she does say, why do you keep rescuing me? So right, yeah, So she knows yeah, true. he's the guy from before. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of like, if you reorder it, I like it a little bit better that he's, you know, he's met this, this woman... She's going to come in and, and essentially bet a whole bunch of money she doesn't have, and he bails her out. And that's what ends up to them going up to the hotel room and everything. And, mm-hmm. and then she pays him back with what money, I don't know. But um, Yeah, well, presumably she just, you know, she presumably has a significant amount of money from both her father right. and her, right. or her dead husband. Right. So I don't know what her game is here with her saying she doesn't have money, like if, if she's broke or she probably just had didn't have her yeah which shouldn't have been an issue at a casino if she can get the money at a casino like this right i mean there weren't atms or anything at the time so maybe that's it right who who knows it's it's not it wasn't as easy to have a bunch of cash i'm sure they had to have contingencies in hand for that sort of thing and and a contessa would have credit i would imagine (laughs) you'd think so yes yeah so yeah, so Bond bails her out, and and they they he invites her up to his hotel room afterward. Uh, he goes back to her hotel room, and it's not her waiting for him. Uh, That's it's this this guy Mr. we get. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, we we don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> we have another fight scene that's aid that's undercranked a bit. Um, we we get the first in several poorly delivered one-liners unfortunately when he said he yeah, beats the guy and he crasher. flies through the yeah he flies through that trellis thing and he's said gate crasher which could have been a good line i think it could have but he just doesn't have connery's delivery on that no and that's that's really my issue with lazenby lazenby however you say his name my issue with lazenby <laughs> throughout <laughs> my, that's that's really my issue with with uh george lazenby throughout this entire film is more his his delivery of lines more than anything at this point i do like yeah i i do like the fight in general it's it's a decent standard you know henchman attacks bond fight yeah yeah and and again it's one of those things where if you didn't do the undercranking i think you would have a very good brutal i mean they break a lot of stuff he they throw him through a table he flies Mm -hmm. through a chair at some point i mean it's it's rough it's not it's not the cutesy roger moore kind of fighting (laughs) yeah it, again, they they kind of 
sabotage themselves a little bit by the way they decide to shoot it. Actually, you know what? I take it back. That's actually in her hotel room. I was wrong. Yes, it that's is. It's her hotel room because he goes back to his hotel room and that's where she's waiting for him. But he uh, he has caviar from her hotel room first, which th- that is very much a Bond thing to do, especially to like say where the caviar is from as he walks out the room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I liked that. He takes off his jacket and his gun and then Tracy, she takes his gun and she says, you always arm yourself for a rendezvous. And he says, occasionally I seem to be accident prone. Which reminds me a little bit of that line in Goldfinger when he says he has a slight inferiority complex. But again, it's just not delivered quite as well. I, th- I still think it's yeah. a good line, but it's just not as... It doesn't land quite the same for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then they end up sleeping They, they end up sleeping together because that's how she's going to pay him back for bailing yep. her out of the because, casino. you know, that's... You know, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Uh, there, but, yeah. There's... there's so I... I you know, we, we've talked, I think, every week about problematic <laughs> 60s mentality things, and we will talk about it again later in this film. Oh, I mean, God, she, yes. She's, she's, in, she's the one that's initiating all of this. Oh, yeah. No, it's not actually. So, yeah. It's not really an issue in this case. No, he's not extorting her for anything like that. And then the thing I like, too, is he wakes up, she's gone, but she's put the money in the, in the drawer of the table. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she also paid him the money yeah no i do i do like that and it it does work um we also do see the guy who attacked him listening at the door oh right yeah we see him again in a little bit uh yeah because bond puts on his ludicrous golf outfit and gets accosted by the most ridiculous looking suit i think i've ever seen in a movie where this guy's wearing a creamsicle orange shirt and a ugly plaid thing well, that both that shirt and that suit are so yeah of the time period. Also, Bond's outfit, like especially, can we just talk about the insane zipper pull on Bond's jacket? Like, <laughs> yes. what the hell is that thing? <laughs> it reminds me because, of course, we have to bring. Up I know Sochi. what you're going to talk about. It reminds about. me. I know you know exactly saying. where I'm going with <laughs> yes. this. Uh, the vest that Kirk wears in I Generations. Guess. Yep. <laughs> god-awful zipper zipper pull yep we even get a close-up of the zipper pull as he's like yeah the... and this is where the guy goes mm. <laughs> and then for some reason on the highway they put up the top of the car and that's okay yeah and we like get a long like view of it like there's yeah. somehow some, some like important plot point or something yeah but no they get then they they take him to this weird warehouse place and and they've apparently been driving all day. Too. Yeah, because it's night now. Yeah. Uh, fun little inside joke: the the little the little person that's the janitor is actually whisper or whistling the Goldfinger theme. I don't yes. know if you caught that. Okay. I didn't, but the Bond wiki told me. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, we get yet another uh, fist fight in this hallway i hate this fight scene because every single person that gets hit hits one of those filing cabinets and we get the bang and it's just yep really annoying and there's no reason for it no and this is and this is i do like how he like gets on the other side of the door he's ready to throw the knife he's like hold up let's have a drink first yep (laughs) that was good and i like him throwing it into the calendar and it's it's and it's the 14th instead of the 13th yeah that was good. Yeah. This is when we. This is where we meet Draco, 
who is i mean he's like a mafia boss essentially yeah uh, and which is apparently okay yes it's well it's apparently okay because he knows where blofeld is because blofeld's probably a competitor of his but this is where i don't understand why his men are so rough with both tracy and then bond when all he wants to do is get bond there to set him up with his daughter I feel like this is probably a situation where he didn't tell his men what he wanted Bond for. That that could be. And wow, his office is ostentatious, to say the least. Just a little bit, yeah. I mean, this is another guy, another one-off character that I actually like quite a bit, for, for yeah. the most part. Um, he has the unfortunate line later where he says that Tracy just needs a man to dominate her, which is just terrible. Um, although, I mean, I, I attribute that to just the, the, I mean, the guy's generation, probably the, the father mm -hmm. here, you know, but still it's, it's, it's hard to listen to, to that. Um, but it's an interesting scene because you're essentially, you hear kind of Tracy's background and why she is in the situation she's in. She was married to this guy who got killed, uh, while he was cheating on her essentially. Um, and Draco wants tracy his daughter to get married to bond so he's trying to just play matchmaker in a way with this guy because he knows that bond has helped her a couple times and bond really doesn't want anything to do with this idea he thinks that he he likes his single lifestyle he likes doing whatever he wants to do and mm -hmm. not to mention the fact that he's a spy and that could be awkward and but i like how he he eventually comes around to the idea of well I'm looking for Blofeld, and you might know where he is. So I will court your daughter if you help me find Blofeld. Which is icky. A little bit. I think, a little a little bit. And I think this is really the where I have the biggest stumbling block with this film a little bit, is I like, I like the conceit that Bond originally goes into this situation because he wants something. He wants information. And Tracy eventually goes along with it just for reasons that aren't really well explained in the movie. And I frankly don't remember what they are in the book, so I can't speak Well, she to that. basically tells her father that she's in love with him. Yeah. I mean, she's she's kind of fallen for him already, and that's why mm -hmm. she, you know, when they meet later at the, the bullfighting arena. Yeah. Um, the sense I always got from the story is Bond goes into this with ulterior motives, and he accidentally ends up falling in love with this woman. Mm -hmm. and doesn't expect to no i yeah you know we have that montage later with you get the song um we have all the time in the world which is one of the last things that louis armstrong ever recorded i think it's a beautiful song we have all the time Yeah, no, I, I think it does work 
pretty well. Uh, yeah, I do enjoy the song. It, it it helps to make this a very different film from any of the other Bond films. Absolutely. And it's it's the the first one really that's about Bond, where Bond is showing any sort of emotional reactions to things. Um, you know, we skipped over after the meeting with Draco. He finally goes back to headquarters where. M's in a really bad mood for whatever reason and is being kind of a dick in this scene where, you know, he just relieves Bond of his duty from, he's on this thing called uh, Operation Bedlam, which is the plot to find Blofeld. Uh, I think M's frustrated with his inability to find him. He just relieves him and says, you know, you have certain skills and we need to put them somewhere else because you're not getting the job done on this thing. Um, and we get, like, Bond gets angry at this. And I don't think we've ever seen him take offense, really, other than, you know, maybe at the beginning of Goldfinger when he had no idea why he was on the case originally. And I think it's because he's put so much effort into it, or yeah. apparently has. And I can definitely understand that. Uh, I mean, if you've been working on a project for two years and then your boss says, ah, you're not doing a good job, we're going to put someone else on the job, it would probably piss you off, too. Yeah, I would think so. Um, we get... Maybe one of the best Bond Money Penny interactions here. I love this, yeah, where he tells her to take a. Well, first off, it's very 60s, where he tells her to take a, a note for a dictation of a note for his resignation instead of him just writing it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it does work in this instance, where she goes in and gives M a, a note asking for two weeks' leave. Yeah. And I really like how at the end, M had been listening all along and knew the whole time. I mean, thanks, Money Penny, for talking for basically talking him down. A quest granted. A quest granted. Not even with regret. What did you expect? A knighthood? Why don't you read it? Two weeks leave. <laughs> you didn't really want to resign, did you? Money Penny, what can I do without you? My problem is that you never do anything with me. To date, the moment I get back. Where are you off to? Oh, just some place to laze about. Beach coming. What would I do without you, Miss Money Penny? Thank you. Yeah, that was good. And I like how between when he tells Moneypenny he's resigning and when M calls him in, he goes into his office to pack up his stuff and we see a bunch of souvenirs from the previous films. Mm -hmm. And I, I like he sits down at his desk to drink and looks up and sees the the painting of the queen. And he's just like, sorry, man. Yeah, and he toasts to the queen. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good touch. Especially because the film is called On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Right, um, and, th yeah, and th that's when we end up going back to the bullfighting scene, uh, which is, it's fine, you know. Bond's wearing yeah, another interesting outfit here with his giant ascot thing and, and, and <laughs> I a don't hate and the ascot. tweed. And the I, tweed. I like Bond's outfit better than I like Tracy's outfit. Tracy has interesting clothing in this film. <laughs> yes. Uh, we should say that Tracy is played by a Diana Rigg, who's probably one of the best actors we see in this traditional... I hesitate to call Tracy a Bond girl, but... Yeah, especially because she's older than Bond. She is. 
I mean, she holds her own very well mm-hmm. uh, throughout the film. Diana Rigg is probably best known these days as being the Queen of Thorns, uh, Olenna Tyrell on Game of Thrones. And you can definitely tell... Like she has that kind of stature to her, even in this film, even when, even though she's, oh, yeah. she has these moments of vulnerability here. Like I really like the little moment where, you know, she's clearly falling for Bond already for whatever reason that these interactions, this impression that she's had, and and at one point she gets up and leaves abruptly, and he goes and follows her, and then she's crying, and he wipes the tears from her face, which I think is a nice little moment, and it comes back again later. Uh, later at the very end of the film but we get this is when we get the montage of them of their little courtship that they have going on here and meanwhile we've heard from draco that uh there's this lawyer in switzerland who might be connected to blofeld in some way yeah so which i love i really love how she basically is just like no tell him don't don't ha- don't hold this over him just tell him what you know yeah that was great Tell him what you know, or you'll never see me again. And that's what convinces him to do it. And she, she, she's figured this out already. Like she knows what's up. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and and it and it works pretty well. They and that's so at this point, then uh, you can tell that she's angry because she she really liked Bond, and she can see that Bond is basically using her. Right. And that's when we see that uh, Bond actually does care. Mm-hmm. Just despite yeah. his his intentions. Mm-hmm. And we get a bit of a montage, and then we cut to bears, which are apparently a famous thing in Bern. Yep, that you asked me about early on, and I looked up, and there's a famous bear pen in Bern, Switzerland. Who knew? Uh, I certainly didn't. I'm watching this, I'm like, why are there bears? That's the kind of shot that these days would be accompanied with a subtitle that says Bern, Switzerland. Right, and in, and normally I make fun of those things when it's like a shot of Big Ben and it says London, England. I'm like, oh, gee, <laughs> yes. you don't say. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but in this case it wouldn't have, actually wouldn't have been the worst thing to do <laughs> uh so bond is wearing so remember when i remarked on um sean connery's suit in from yes. Russia with love mm-hmm. well, is wearing the same suit or at least a very similar suit in this scene yes he is yeah that gray checkered suit pattern yeah yeah the gray suit that is only checkered if you have an hd television that's right <laughs> So he he sneaks he goes to the law office in Zurich or not Zurich in Bern. Uh, why did I say Zurich? There are no uh, bears in Zurich. You don't know that. <laughs> uh, and he happens to get there at the same time that the lawyer is going to lunch, which works out well. We get a fake out where it think it looks like the lawyer forgot something and might head back up, but doesn't. Right. And this is when we get the delivery of the enormous safe-cracking device slash coffee machine that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> yes. So, we have... I don't... Th- Does this guy have a name? The blonde guy? Yeah. No, I don't... Well, I don't remember. I don't think so. Or at least it's not one that's, you know, memorable. Right. This is the first time okay. we see him, I think. Yeah, so apparently Bond has a person who is working for him assisting him etc uh hanging out at the construction conveniently located construction site across- oh it is a draco construction okay. yeah i've always so got the sense, sense that this blonde guy actually works for draco that or, makes cause... more sense yes that it's still convenient that draco happened to have a construction site right across the street yes very so yeah he sends over a trunk that has a giant safe cracking copy machine 
Which is a very specific purpose machine. Like, it does two functions. And, like... Yeah. <laughs> how often are you able to use something like this? Because unless you happen to sneak into a place during the lunch hour and it happens to be across the street from a construction site, how are you sneaking this into some place <laughs> to crack the safe and then copy? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... And I can only think of any of covert uses for this, because otherwise, if it's not covert, and you can just, like, crack the safe and then get the stuff at your leisure, you don't need a combination safe-cracking copy machine. This is certainly one of those gadgets that is very specific to the film that's being it's being used in. <laughs> yes. Um, I will say, I like the music cue here that kind of builds tension. I mean, it, it makes sense in a way where, you know, you can break into this guy's safe. You can then take the material without actually taking the material. I mean, I think the reason that it's so big and that it does all the work for you is so he has time to sit down and read Playboy magazine. Yeah, probably. Um, because that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. Um, and he is not just looking at the articles either. No, I mean, he even steals the centerfold with him. Like, he, <laughs> he takes the guy's centerfold as he leaves and then looks at it in the hallway right as the people are coming off the elevator and like come is on is that a thing in the 60s you could just walk down the hallway looking at porn maybe in switzerland i don't know okay <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a visit to m's big house which might be the one with the giant uh dining room scene no that's the, his the, other the, house the architecture styles are very different here no nah, this is m has more than one house what m, are you talking about yeah we find out that M is into lepidoptery, which is collecting butterflies. And Bond obviously knows everything because he knows everything. Right. In more 60s fashion, we find M hanging out at home in his leisure time, wearing a suit jacket and ascot. It's, a, it's like a <laughs> bathrobe suit jacket. It's like a smoking jacket, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's like a velvety thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd call it a smoking jacket. Yeah, maybe. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a better look, I think, than the double-breasted suit that Bond is wearing at this point. But Yes, it is. Well, that's apparently a very British thing, though. Um, yeah. At least of the time. Because um, I mentioned in the last episode that I had just recently read Casino Royale. Well, I have continued on, and I am now reading Live and Let Die. Condolences. And... Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and there's actually there's a line... Um, where he had to, like, make concessions to American fashion and get single-breasted jackets. Ah, okay. I have I have not read Live and Let Die in a long time. Um, I mean... We'll, we'll, we'll get to I, the... I wouldn't... 
I wouldn't say you need to. We'll, we'll get to the film <laughs> later, but it's amazing to me that there are two stories out there named Live and Let Die. One's a book, one's a movie. Both are extremely racist, but in completely different ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'll be a fun one in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And we're actually, after this film, we're kind of hitting the doldrums for a while, I would say. But, um... Well, I like The Spy Who Loved Me, which is, you know, only three movies away. Right. Four. Oh, I forgot Man with a Golden Gun. That's easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, we're hitting a bit of yeah. a... Okay. <laughs> We're hitting the Tom anyway. Mankiewicz era, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, so we find out that um, Bond, you know, from the from the materials they got from Switzerland, they've realized there's some guy who's claiming to be the ancestor or in, legally entitled to this count title, uh, the of the de Blochamp family, which is apparently a form of the French version of Blofeld. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. And then we get this interesting thing, which, which you know, ultimately lends itself to the title of another film, where Bond is doing his homework and goes and pretends that he's having his family history looked after by this institute or this group of individuals whose job it is is to know where titles are mm-hmm. allowed to be and family crests and all that stuff. And we find out that the the Bond family motto is "The world is not enough." Which comes back later. That's a nice callback later, actually. Yeah, it I is. Really like that. Yeah, I, I always thought that was clever, and and they actually acknowledge it at, at one point in the film mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, he even yeah he says like, like it's a family motto. Yeah, and I think they also reference it in um, Skyfall. Probably. Yeah, they just they might. There's a lot of references in that movie. Um, we meet Sir Hilary Bray, who is the person at the College of Heralds who is interacting with this Blochamp fellow. Uh, Interestingly, they decided, because the whole scheme here is Bond is going to pretend to be him and then go and hang out and investigate whether this is Blofeld. And for whatever reason, they decided to then use the actor George Baker, who plays Hilary Bray, to dub George Lazenby in all these scenes. Um, For some reason. Well, so I read that Peter Hunt didn't like the voice that George Lazenby was using, so they just said, well, let's just use the real guy instead. Uh, unless they've been speaking over the phone, which I doubt because there's a lot of actual letter correspondence. I don't know why you would need to adopt a different voice at this point. It's an odd choice, but it's a choice they made. It is. We then find them him in Switzerland, somewhere else, getting off the train. We meet Irma Bunt, who is the woman that was sent to collect him at the train station. We see the blonde fellow again following him around, so we know that he's still there. And this is where, you know, I, I was, you know, bemoaning some of the filming. I love these shots, like, up in the mountains that we get here. Mm-hmm. I think this is really well done. I think it's gorgeous, the the Alps that we get here. You know, they're in a helicopter. They're flying up to this remote location, which I believe actually exists. It's a real place. They didn't build it up there. It's a real restaurant, uh, actually, is what it is. Uh Funnily enough, I was reading about this uh, uh-huh. in the wiki. The only way to get to the restaurant from uh, public access is via the cable car. Hmm. Um, but the guy that was building, that owned the restaurant, was building the cable car, ran out of money. Okay. So the movie production actually paid to have the cable car finished uh, in exchange for allowing them to film oh. the location. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
because it is a really nice location i think it's a great it is and, and you can tell when they look out the windows they really are where they are you know it's not a bad like you know the the picture on the wall that they put behind windows and fake sets and stuff it's not it's not yeah. bad it's it's a legit location um we get Chekhov's avalanche damage here yes <laughs> that is avalanche damage um, and then as we're coming into land he says it'll be good to be on the ground again and she says not ground ice <laughs> yes which um no no there is ice there sure but yeah. this is ground right what do you think the ice is on top of <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird line yeah this is yeah this is now we get to the middle part of the movie here which is probably where it's a little saggy in places i would say um a little yeah yes uh you know bond is led to his room the the standard villains we're going to put you in this hotel room that you can't open the door of we do get us get some shots of a bald man with a cat so clearly this is blofeld at this point yeah and for for the record george lazenby is not actually smoking that pipe no 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 <laughs> because there's no smoke coming out of it or <laughs> there's no smoke coming out of it and he's basically just holding it most of the time and i don't know how experienced you are or if at all with smoking a pipe i am not uh, but you do it's a finicky thing you can't just let it sit okay for too long or it'll just go out and then you okay. have to relight it okay you never actually see anyone have to relight a pipe in a movie but and that's how you can tell that they're not really smoking. i see okay <laughs> yeah he's just carrying a pipe okay but yeah there's never any smoke coming out of it which is a yeah, big well, yeah. giveaway <laughs> yeah i i will say i do like this callback that we had to the or, like the original bond films where he's checking out the hotel room and playing with the medicine mm -hmm. cabinets and looking for like oh is this a see-through mirror or anything like that so there's we get that a little bit another thing i talked about in the early films like we don't see this again in the later film <laughs> well i had forgotten that too so that's fine i also like how one of them how the like it, it's a fancy like mirror that pops out and is angled and stuff that's cool yeah that is kind of cool so then he changes into a kilt right and i'm gonna talk about kilts for a second here okay um <laughs> so sir hillary bray is apparently a famous genealogist uh presumably of scottish ancestry for if he's wearing a kilt mm -hmm. it is very it's an odd choice for him to be wearing that kilt okay so the the tartan that he's wearing is called black watch actually the kilt that i gave you is that tartan oh, okay um anyone can wear that kilt Mm -hmm. It is not an official clan. It is uh, anyone is literally anyone on the planet is allowed to wear that kilt. Uh, it is the what's called the government tartan. The the military wears that kilt. All right. Uh, it would be very odd. It's very odd to me that a genealogist, if he is going to wear a kilt, would wear a basic unaffiliated kilt instead of an actual clan that he would belong to and if he doesn't belong to a clan it would feel weird that someone for whom family history is so important would wear a kilt at all okay because if he doesn't have a clan tartan then it wouldn't he 
there there really isn't much then his then it wouldn't be a, a an important thing in the family it's 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 just a very odd choice well it you know i hadn't thought of that i, I i'm not anywhere near as you know versed in that stuff um one thing that occurred to me as you were explaining that and and i noticed this is a thing that happens later is i'm wondering you know was this a very impulsive thing that bond has done here where he you know he gets the letter in switzerland and then starts talking to this guy and says oh i think you know i have a great idea this is gonna you know i'm gonna take the place of this genealogist and go up there and because he kind of does shoddy background work a little bit here uh later on we mm -hmm. find out that the real reason that blofeld suspects him as not being who he says he is is because he keeps trying to get blofeld to go to visit augsburg to the cathedral to see the de blochamp tombs mm -hmm. and then he's it's revealed that well the blow the blochamp tombs aren't in the cathedral they're in a in the i think he says the saint anna kirsch or something like that and he says the real yeah kind, the real yeah. he says the real sir hillary bray would have known that and i have to think that if bond were really taking the time to do his homework he would have figured that out too or not mentioned the tombs at all. Or, yeah, or not mentioned the tombs at all. Or Sir Hilary Bray would have mentioned it to him, you know, oh, by the way, this is something you should know. Like, he, he would have done enough background research into this to really be convincing. Right. And I'm wondering if, and I'm just kind of spitballing here at this point, you know, making up something out of my rear end. But I wonder if, you know, this is, James Bond went to the cosplay store and got a kilt and a jacket and everything. And, and that's why he's wearing what he's wearing. I would, okay. I can see that if Bond were English. Okay. But Bond is Scottish. Well, he's Australian now. <laughs> so... so. <laughs> okay, the character of James Bond is Scottish. Yes. And he would presumably already be familiar with the, the concept of the clan tartans. Yep. And actually, I mean, early on, Bond was not Scottish. But by the time this book was written, he was Scottish. Uh, because Ian Fleming decided that he liked Sean Connery's performance enough that he would make the character have Scottish ancestry. So that was a very late addition to the character's background. Interesting. In and in fact, it might even have been in this in the Honor Majesty's Secret Service book. Um, I don't know that for sure, but it was in one of the later books that that was brought up. So well, it would have to be one of the later books. Yeah. I mean, well, yes, <laughs> if you like Sean. Connery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean. How how many books did he write after the film started? It couldn't have been many. No, so I'm looking at my Honor Majesty's Secret Service right now. It was published in 1963, and he wrote. Isn't that the year he died? No, uh, he died in he died during the filming of Goldfinger. So maybe. Oh, okay. Uh, he yeah. There there are two books that follow Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, one of them is You Only Live Twice. And then the last that makes sense. And then the last one is the man with the golden gun. And uh -huh. I have heard that you meant yeah, you man with the golden the man with the golden gun. It was unfinished, right? But they just sort of published it as it was. Yeah, there's a lot of debate about either whether it's a finished book or somebody else actually wrote it from notes or something like that because mm. it's frankly not as good. Like the 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 writing is not as good as previous stories which is why people are debating whether he it was actually fleming's words um right the so you know we can pause here a little bit because <laughs> this is where the real problem comes in here so 
Bond goes to meet this Diploshemp character who is played by Telly Savalas. I actually like Telly Savalas a lot in this movie. I think he does a... I do as well. He plays a very, very different from Donald Pleasance, but I think this is probably the best version of Blofeld that we get. The most... The one we can take the most seriously anyway. Yeah. Um, but, so, he's already met Bond. I don't care who's playing Bond. And we got rid of the plastic surgery thing, so that's not an excuse anymore. There's no reason these two shouldn't know who each other are immediately. And... Right. The reason is because they flip-flopped the movies. Originally, they were going to do Under Majesty's Secret Service after Thunderball. And because of... They couldn't get the winter locations that they wanted because of the time of year. They went and did You Only Live Twice. You Only Live Twice is obviously nothing like the movie. And it's all about the repercussions of what happened in this film at the end of this movie. And Bond (laughs) living through all of that. So, obviously, then they couldn't do that because nothing you know this movie hasn't happened um my biggest regret with this movie is that they did it so early on in the series i would love to see like if they're going to end the franchise and it almost feels a little bit like they're trying to do that with the craig films now um yes you know end it with this big tragedy that happens to bond and the repercussions of that and how it affects him going forward um whereas you know now you get you get this tragic ending and then all of a sudden you get this goofy movie coming up next week, but we'll get to that when we get to it anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we, we get the scene with, uh, Telly Savalas playing Blofeld and he's talking all about, well, first of all, he has no earlobes. So clearly that's conclusive evidence that he's a, Oh, obviously. Bullshit. Yeah. Uh, he totally didn't chop them off. No, right he to- totally didn't chop off his earlobes. So you get this weird, like, feeling out scene, I think, between the two of them where they're still trying to play their cover. Um, oh, I, should, <laughs> I completely missed the line when they're at dinner with these girls. You know, he goes, he, he's he's supposed to be meeting the Blochamp, but in the interim, he's going to have dinner. And he has dinner with all these women who are at this health clinic that is being set up that the Count is presumably running. And, you know, he's... They seem way too interested in his stories about heraldry and stuff, frankly. Uh, <laughs> but Well, that's explained away but that he's the first man they've had a chance to interact with in however long. Well, that's true. That is true. And he's putting on the airs that he's not into women at all. And, you know, at one point, one of them said he, he has this book that he wants to show them. And they start to say where their rooms are. And Irma Bunt says, no, you know, you're not allowed to say that. Say what room you're in. And... The one wo- the one woman reaches under his tartan and writes something with lipstick that turns out to be her room number on it. And I like mm-hmm. I always I'm sorry it it's a terrible bad pun thing, but I always laugh at the line where Irma Bunt says, "Are you okay?" and he says, "Just a slight stiffness coming on." Yes, <laughs> which yeah, no, that's good too. Which is probably his best line of that type that Lazenby gets to deliver here. And I just called him Lazenby again, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he breaks out of his room, and this is the part that is really problematic for me. Yeah. So, he breaks out of the room, and he starts, you know, having some fun. He starts making the rounds, really. I I assume it's implied that he visits every woman, right? Well, except for the one that comes into his room. Right. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I understand... Hilly, you old dog. Oh, God. The hilly thing. I just... I can't. Uh... I understand that he's trying to get information out of these people. Like, I would imagine that at this point he knows it's Blofeld because he's not an idiot. And yeah, he knows who he's looking for. 
So he's trying to figure out, because after he sleeps with, with Ruby, the first girl, uh, he keeps asking her all these things about, you know, how did you get here and, and why are you at this clinic and trying to figure out all the all this stuff. And, you know, trying to figure out what it is that, why is, and it's a reasonable question, why is Blofeld at this weird health clinic with all these girls? Uh-huh. So I get that, but I don't, the whole just making the rounds and sleeping with all these girls thing just really bugs me, especially when, you know, the spine of this movie is supposed to be a love story between Bond and Tracy. Yes. It's, no, it's very odd. Uh, and it seems ridiculous, and it's just there because, well, Bond's got to sleep with lots of women, yep. obviously. That's how these movies work. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, he goes back to his room, and... That's when you get the hilly old devil thing when he's in the bathroom. And then he comes out and there's another girl. You're right. Yeah. And and then there's another girl waiting in his room. Yeah. And then, oh, but we should also mention that during this process, he did get to witness the hypnotization here. Yes. Yeah. While he's in the room with her. And we we see the scene of that, all the cassette tapes that he has laid out and he's putting them in to send special messages to all the girls in their rooms. So they're being hypnotized for some reason. We get a quick little scene well, of... I mean, it's clearly not a good reason. I mean, it's Blofeld, after all. Yeah, exactly. And and I like... We'll get to it in a second. I, I actually like the the villainous plot. I mean, the, the hypnotization part is a little weird and, and doesn't quite work. But the whole concept of what he's doing here, I think, is probably one of the most plausible villainous plots that we get. And it's one of the ones that you mm-hmm. could see in some form actually working, where he's... It's essentially a germ warfare story. Yeah, no, and uh, certainly uh, uh, in this current climate where we, we're in, the idea of a germ that goes that uh, goes all over the world and causes devastation is not uh, implausible. Right. Now I'm, I have a science background. I'm not a geneticist by any regards, but I do wonder about how you cause sterility in any organism that you come into contact with because different organisms have different means of reproduction. And I don't know if what stops corn from becoming fertilized would also affect, let's say chickens. Um, But it's still a somewhat scary idea, even for the time at the time, I would imagine that this could happen. And especially these days Mm -hmm. with, with the whole, you know, public consciousness being consumed by viruses and stuff. Yeah, no, it's definitely possible. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's probably the idea that he could sterilize everything on Earth, though. Mm-hmm. That just seems. I guess it's possible. I mean, or maybe he, maybe he has variations of this formula that he's giving each, because we ultimately find out that each of these girls has an allergy to something, and he's yeah. sending them back with the means to destroy that something. And it's he's also apparently cured allergies with hypnotism, which I really don't think is possible. Yeah, I don't think that's how that works either. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's probably some psychosomatic allergy symptoms that you can get. I'm but, sure. But I don't think it would be all of them. Uh, we at this point, we it's the next day. We see the blonde guy again trying to get up to the resort or wherever they're staying and can't. And he decides to mountain climb up. We get Bond embarrassing himself as Sir Hillary trying to curl or whatever it is they're doing. It's like a weird mishmash of curling and shuffleboard that we have going on here. Then, you know, Blofeld comes up because the blonde guy has been spotted. Yeah, I think we are to presume that Bond is deliberately embarrassing himself. That he could have 
been much better. Oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he's clearly just playing up his inability to do anything. Yeah. I like the scene here with with Bond and and Blofeld. I still don't think I don't know if at this point if Blofeld is on to him and playing him. I think he is to a degree. Bond is saying, "Oh, I'd like to take the day off and do this thing because he wants to go meet with the blonde guy." And uh-huh. and he says, "But you just took the after you took the morning off and now you want to take the afternoon." And he's like playing this thing where he's, you know, "I'm paying you to do a job and you're going to do your job, not go hang out at this at the town." Uh, I'll also say Blofeld holds his cigarette really weird. <laughs> I've, movies I've, just I've, with people who I've, don't really smoke. Yeah, I, I've never seen a person hold their <laughs> cigarette like that ever before or again. Like this is the only time. It's very strange. It is odd. Yes. For whatever for whatever reason, it's distracting to me. But anyway, yeah. Like I said, the movie is filled with people who don't actually smoke. I like the cheesy line later when all the girls are like, "I want to see you. I want to see you." And he says, "Okay, you're at six, and you're at seven and then he's like uh, and he talks to the guard he's like back to work you have no idea how much it's piling up yeah (laughs) that is very bond like yeah Uh, so then he goes to meet uh one of the girls yeah and it turns out it's not really the girl oh no it's fraulein bunt and i like how he just tries to roll with it he's just like oh fancy meeting you here (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah He's like he's quick on his feet. I'll give him that. He is, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would have been that clever if I had uh, been in that situation. No. And this is where we find out that Blofeld is onto him because of the thing with the tombs. Yep. Breaks his little glasses and stuff. Uh, and it... he reveals his evil plan with the disease. And yeah, because we have to have a villain monologuing at some point. Also, could that Christmas tree have more tinsel on it? Because I don't. Think it could. <laughs> I, I think yeah. any more tinsel would reach critical mass. I mean, this was around the era maybe when they were starting to get aluminum Christmas trees, but that's a real one, or at least a fake green one. There is a lot there is a of green garlands on something it. Yeah. underneath that tinsel. Yeah, that's a lot of tinsel, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like one of those trees that you would have left up from the year before, and it's just, like, turning brown. <laughs> yes! <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah you know not only do we get bottle logging here but then we get i could kill you but instead i'm gonna lock you in this little room where you can't possibly escape which why it's a standard bond yeah i I know i know (laughs) but like he has to know that he can escape from that room there's like there's cables that go out that go outside (laughs) there's a there's a giant window right there in the room yeah i mean yeah Oh, we also see that the blonde guy is dead now. Oh, yeah, the blonde guy has been killed. He didn't get sent back down the hill like they said he was going to. So, Bond makes a a show of timing the cable car the first time, and then that that information is then never used in any way. Yeah, because I feel like he wants to figure out how long does he have, how long is the train in motion so that he can get on the cable, but then he gets on the cable and it starts moving again. I wonder if he... Because there's like a second stop or something on the way down. Is that what happens? Or do they just turn around and come back? I think they just turn around and come back. Also, I'm wondering about that. Like, why are they constantly going up and down? Like, all the time. Yeah, what do they need to do? Yeah. It's not like this is something that, like, the public is using it to go back and forth. We've already established this is private and only Blofeld's people can do it. Right. So, like, are there, like, like, 
why it why do they need to send guards down the mountain every 10 minutes i I don't know i don't know what they're bringing back up or anything yeah um so we have a couple failed attempts to climb the cable before Vaughn is able to get out accompanied by again bad undercranking at times (laughs) yes i don't get what bond is trying to do here when he's he goes down the cable and then the cable car is coming back up and he's trying to back away from it and i'm not sure why because he eventually does just jump to the car, which would have made sense from the beginning. And nobody notices this either, somehow. that nobody notices. Even though he's right in the spotlight. They don't notice him any of this, but the second he starts skiing down the mountain, they, they, they spot him right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That seemed a bit ridiculous, but yes. Oh, we have the other Chekhov's thing here where we've seen it before, but the, 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 spikes the, Chekhov, the Chekhov spikes on the wall, which is... <laughs> Yeah, probably the worst interior design decision you could possibly make here. That looks very dangerous, and it turns out it actually is very dangerous. It turns out, yes, yes it is. <laughs> but yeah, Bond sneaks back in just in time to learn that the uh, women are all being hypnotized to use their makeup to kill people. Yep, just the atomizer, but yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so then he sneaks down... And in- incapacitates the guard and tells and whispers "Merry Christmas" as he leaves the room. Yes, because okay. I <laughs> and I, then later he's like, "Perhaps I should have gift wrapped you." Yeah, I like the "Merry Christmas" <laughs> line better, actually. Yes, the "Merry Christmas" line's good. Yeah, the, perhaps I should have gift wrapped you is probably a bit much. Yeah. So then, yeah, Bond starts to ski down the mountain and is immediately spotted by the guards. Yes. But I will say, this is the first ski chase scene we have in the bond franchise and i think it is the best one yes i i agree with that completely um you have to ignore the fact that they completely forgot that or they ignore the fact that it's at night at at, at points and i think in clearly it's for safety reasons that yeah they're not i think it's I, I i still think this is better day for night than the uh stupid beach scene really the only problem we ever have here is occasionally the sky is too light yeah i was gonna say they it's it's better day for night except for the parts where they just don't do the technique and it's clearly daytime which again i'm fine with just yeah, because i notice whenever they show a skier jumping like the sky fades from dark to light yeah it's, yeah it's well and there's weird. some there are some long distance <laughs> shots of clearly blue sky and things yeah but yeah i mean this is it, none of this is any of the principal actors at all but it's still really well done no uh, in fact, uh, George Lazenby was forbidden from skiing the entire time the movie was being produced. He uh, he actually snuck out and did some skiing and got caught. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for insurance, probably. Yeah. I mean, this is not an easy hill to ski on, from what I can tell. Well, especially with that cliff that you can just, like, yeah. go over and die. Yeah. I mean, it is a long ski sequence, but it's still very good. I Yeah, no, I actually really enjoyed this. Yeah. And we'll see a few more ski chases throughout the Bond franchise, and I think this one is better done than the later ones. My, I think my only criticism is at the one point when he throws the guy over the cliff, and it's just like the motionless dummy falling all the way down <laughs> yes. the cliff. Uh, yeah, that doesn't work. I mean, I like the fact that you actually see it from pretty high up, and having it, all, you you track it the whole way down, and it actually lands, and you can see how high up they are, but. Uh, I'm also not sure that you would actually be able to hear the music from the town from all the way up there. Probably not. And since it's, do you know how Christmas trees are grown? I think that's probably a good thing that you wouldn't be able to hear that music. And uh, I think they do know because they're, you know, surrounded by evergreens. They the are. Yes, that's true. Also, 
is that the only song that plays in this town? It seems like it. Because <laughs> it's playing when he arrives at, earlier on, and it's playing the entire time he's running around this town. Uh, yeah. So, I really dislike the song. I think it's a terrible, yeah. cheesy, awful, saccharine song. Mm-hmm. I think it works really well in the sequence when he when they're doing the rapid cutting between him and the people and the guy and the people chasing him and it just it, it it just contrasts with this sense of him getting surrounded by these people and not quite knowing what to do with himself and i think that's another sequence that i think Lazenby's the looks he's getting on his face is not something we're used to seeing with bond where he's actually he's afraid at this point oh yeah he's scared mm-hmm. yeah and we don't get that. We certainly wouldn't ever get that from Connery, I don't think. But I like that he's almost panicking. Like, I, I just skied down this hill. I took out these two guys. There's all these people chasing me. I have nowhere to go. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, he thinks he's completely alone at this point. Has no backup because blonde guy is dead. I wish blonde guy had a name. Uh, <laughs> I mean, probably, you know, I've, I've critiqued the, the hilly stuff earlier. The other thing that I struggle with, and it's in, it's pretty much in the book too so i have to let it go somewhat is the tracy x machina moment here where you know he's hiding he's at the ice rink he's hiding from these people trying to not be seen and who shows up but it's tracy right there and she recognizes him immediately isn't that convenient it is but it works really well and i like how she basically takes charge and yes yeah i i'm okay with that yeah i mean it and I think it's explained in the book that she is she found out from her dad where he was going, and she's been hanging out in this village, hoping to run into him. In fact, maybe they say that in dialogue. I don't remember mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, they, I don't think they. Yeah. Do. Okay. But and I do. I agree. I like that. You know, she's the one taking the agency here. He's he doesn't know what to do at this point, and she's like, "I have a car. Let's go." And and we get a car chase kind of thing for no good reason, frankly, uh, where they stumble across this stock car racing thing <laughs> that is just ludicrous uh it's a bit insane yes and I, I don't like how tracy multiple times is like james how do we get out yeah. like how did you get in i mean the same way <laughs> well and and it's looping the same line of dialogue over different faces that don't quite match yeah but yeah there's a lot of problems there and yeah so then that whole sequence it it's just basically to get Fraulein Blunt and them off their trail. Yes. Yeah. And somehow, though, uh, Blofeld is still able to track them. Yeah. I don't know how. I mean, he goes, they stop at a town and he goes and tries to send a message off to M. Right. Maybe that's. But, like, it's been snowing really hard. There certainly aren't any tracks. But, like, you see them all converge on this barn. Like, they're positive that's where they are. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking earlier when they go and he tries to get off a message and they come up and shoot out the, the glass of the phone booth. But, I mean, maybe that's just the next town up that same road. That's that's easily explained. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the snow is really hard. Uh, I, I Honestly, I'm impressed that Tracy was even able to drive the car to the barn because I couldn't see anything out that windshield. Nope, I couldn't either. We have the, the fun thing where, they, where, uh, where Bond says that they're not going to... They can't sleep together now because uh, until after they get married, and it'll be his New Year's resolution. And then he <laughs> breaks the 
thing because it's not New Year's yes. yet. Yes, I yeah, that is that's cute. I like that. I mean, that's cool, except for you know the destruction of someone else's property. Yeah, well, it gets destroyed later too. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. But like, I mean, this whole scene is something that you don't. Again, we're not used to seeing. No. Um, you know, you get the obvious symbolism here where she's laying on top of him and kind of she's the one trying to instigate things and he's finally confessing that he has feelings for her and that he wants they want he wants to marry her and all this stuff and i think he i think i think blazing v does a good job here yeah i agree i i hate his hair but (laughs) (laughs) i i hate his hair this entire movie yeah but (laughs) but yeah the rest i think is is good so yes the next morning blofeld and henchmen converge on this barn somehow and then managed to catch up with them really quickly on the ski slopes. Yes. I... Which, I'm not sure how they did that, but okay. Yeah. I mean, who knows how, when, maybe they left five minutes ago. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I do like that as soon as we see the giant snowblower, I'm like, oh man, one of these henchmen has to die. <laughs> yes. One of them does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had lots of guts is such a bad line, though it's not my it's not a pun that i care for and i think no. that like lazenby butchers the line anyway i mean this is a pretty gruesome look here of the snow getting oh yeah i mean especially early on you see these chunks flying out of it and stuff it's pretty it's pretty gross actually it's <laughs> very gross yeah. yes very gory and then we finally get Chekhov's avalanche we do get Chekhov's avalanche yep and to to put a button on it we have the sign that we see twice that says quiet avalanche area I'm, yep. I'm glad that and Blofeld fought ahead to bring that like little flare thing the that avalanche yeah, charging the, the, av- the avalanche gun. making yeah. bomb thing yeah and this it, from what I understand this is a legit avalanche that they filmed like wiping out trees and whatnot I mean it sure looks like yeah that. uh so yeah in this instance we find out that Bond is rescued but Tracy was captured by Blofeld yes Bond goes back and M's like nah we're not going to do anything. We're going to cave to his demands. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose is the logical thing to do at this point. I, but... I think so, especially given, you know, what exactly he's holding over them at this point. Like, they don't know who the girls mm-hmm. are. They don't know where they are. All they know is that he can do incalculable harm to the entire planet at this point. Uh, I also like the fact that he's not ransoming money. He's saying, I want to be pardoned for everything I've done before. Yeah. And he wants to be made the Count de Blochamp. Which I don't understand, frankly, the entire movie, like, why he wants this title, but... <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I like the... Another callback we had earlier in the movie, and M wants nothing to do with this, so he goes to his office and calls Draco to arrange to have his guys help him take over, and he glances back at the portrait of the Queen again, like, he's doing something naughty here. Yeah. And he tells Draco that he wants that he's got a that he's got some demolition that needs to be done in there. Yeah. And Draco's Draco's on board because yep. obviously it'll rescue Tracy. Yes. And then we get the nice scene where Blofeld is trying to trying to butter up Tracy, and she's not really having any of it. She is so bored this entire thing here. Yeah. <laughs> Which I like. I like that a lot. He he's trying all these different things, and nothing is even working. They're pretending to be Red Cross helicopters so you get the and you get the banter between mm-hmm. and draco the, and i and basically the scene is there so that tracy can hear her father's voice and know that they're coming right and we get the standard uh 
gunfight at the villain's lair here to, to end the film. Which is, I mean, it's the, we, we now have, this is now a standard. I mean, this is what, the mm-hmm. fo- the fourth film that we've done this in? I think so, yeah. Starting with the Goldfinger, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's now like a requirement, basically. Yep. Although it's not actually in every Bond film in the future. It is not. Uh, it becomes, comes and goes, but. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's pretty well done. I like, you know, Tracy. Tracy's holding her own hero against this goon. Like, she's taking him on with a broken bottle at one point. Uh, he gets the upper hand, but never really. She kills the one guy on the spikes. Yeah, the, the, the Chekhov spikes come into play here. I think it's the same guy, actually. Oh. Uh, I, well, I think it's. Is it the same guy? Yeah, because she throws him down the stairs and then he gets up as she's leaving. That's right, yeah. He gets up very limberly, too, for someone who was just thrown down the stairs. And with his head thrown through that circle thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I I could be wrong here, and I probably will find out that I am wrong here, because that's happened multiple times. I think this is the last time we get this recording of the Bond theme. play The, the one that they're playing that has been around since Dr. No. This might be the last time we hear that. Is it? I think... I, I... Again, might again, I could be wrong. It might be. I want to say it comes back a couple times in the Moore era, but I could be wrong. They they play it a few times, but I think it's a different performance. I don't think it's that original recording oh, that they've been I recycling. Get, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, oh, the the Bond theme definitely comes back multiple times, but you know, the, they're they're milking that same original recording they did for Doctor No that played over the the credits there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you could be right. I like. I also really like this. The the one of my favorite parts of this fight is the long slide that Bond does on the ice. Oh yeah, down the... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's really good. Yeah, because you know it's not ground; it's ice. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, they find they find Tracy, and I love Bond's getting going into the this laboratory area, and the scientist guy chucks that flaming like that bubbling flask at the window and then bond just shoots him and looks at it because the thing burned a hole through the glass door yeah <laughs> i'm like i don't think you want to be breathing the air right there but okay uh <laughs> yeah well, he's bond yeah so then he like tosses a whole bunch of stuff around in the office before he finds the button yep finds that it. uh reveals and i don't think he actually manages to take a picture of all the girls before blowfield interrupts i don't think he does either but, which is gonna be a problem even without the you know, hypnotizing because they all still have these things. What if one of them drops one of those? Yeah, that yeah, that would atomizers. Be, that would be bad. Yeah, uh, they set up they set up a bomb here to to blow up the lair, and well, two two things I take issue with. Uh, the first is Tracy wants to go back and help Bond, and Draco wants nothing to do with it, and he eventually punches her and knocks her out and puts her in the helicopter. Which is awful. Spare and then, the rod. Spare the rod and yeah. spoil the child, which makes it worse. Uh, yes. Yeah. And and then we get multiple close-ups of this explosion, this this timer thing that I could swear hit zero like a good ten seconds before the bomb goes off. It certainly looked that way, yes. Yeah. Uh, it waits until Bond has just jumped out the, wind, the, the door there to, to go off. Uh, we then get a fight a, a chase scene on the world's longest bobsled run is this the only action movie bobsled chase ever filmed well there's a bobsled in for your eyes only but they're not but he's actually on skis because mm. he skis down the bobsled run at one point but i think this i don't 
I can't think of another scene in an action film. I mean, cool runnings and stuff like that, but where there's well, yeah, where there's people riding count. bobsleds. <laughs> yeah. No, no, cool yeah, runnings. I mean, does that's not about count. an actual bobsled race. That's a different yeah. thing. Uh we get again bad rear projection here. Uh the actual bobsled stuff, the real stuff is pretty well done, I think. Mm-hmm. Even if it's you know, ten times longer than any bobsled run would ever be. Uh, yeah. You know, they they run out of bullets and and Blofeld throws his gun at him and why Blofeld just happens to be carrying a grenade I don't know <laughs> but uh, I like the whole he puts the grenade in his mouth and it falls out while he he gets bumped or something yeah that's good and I and I I think he's branched off actually did work yes that that's a good line because ultimately it's it's kind of like the ending of Speed in a way where they're on top of the same bobsled and Bond is underneath. Blofeld and Blofeld gets caught up in that branch thing and gets taken off and you think he's dead. Uh, we will find out soon that he is not. Uh, but then, yeah, and then Bond gets rescued by the St. Bernard. Never mind that. Bring me the brand. <laughs> and here we are at the very end, which is the wedding of 007 and Tracy. Yeah. Even Q is emotional. Yes. I, I like that scene with Bond and Q when... Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, we haven't always seen eye to eye, but, you know, I, I just like that he's bearing the hatchet here. I like Bond, yeah. to- Bond tossing the hat, which you put down in your notes, so you say what you want to say about that. But I, yes. I like that moment, too. No, no, I also really like That's why I said it. Yeah. I put it there as a good thing in my notes, actually. Yeah. I don't always note about snarky <laughs> things. <laughs> I, I should say, not all of my notes are snarky, is what oh, I okay. to say. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the two little be- beats here where... You know, they kiss and they're cutting the cake and Money Penny and M and they're clapping and then they cut to Draco's guys and they're like, Yay, like golf clapping the whole thing. <laughs> and and then that great little it's a really short, but like how... Should have had the one guy go <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh I, I think it's fun. Like you, you see you see Draco and M just sharing war stories with each other over drinks that even though they're obviously on the opposite yeah. sides of these things. Yes, that was good. And uh, they drive off. Yep. And we get the we get the scene. We get the scene now. I have to wonder if anybody going to the movies thought this was going to end well. I don't know. And again, this is why I say like making this the sixth movie. I mean, they didn't know how long they were going to make these movies, but and they've been trying to make it ever since really the fourth film. Like, why the rush to make this movie? Other than the fact that I think it's it's one of the best uh, reviewed books, I think. But still, like, mm-hmm. this is not a story to put in the middle of a series, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. I think it does it does really work much better towards the end. You have this, then you have the movie where he gets revenge, which... Uh, yeah. And then... I mean, in, in the book, he gets revenge, and... And I can't remember the circumstances why, but he ends up losing his memory or has he gets hit on the head or something and ends up, because remember, we had the unfortunate bits in the movie, which are also sort of in the book where he goes Japanese and has surgery and embeds mm-hmm. himself in a fishing village. And the book ends with him not knowing who he is in the fishing village being a fisherman, which is kind of hmm. the, which would work as the end of his story, I think. Yeah. Uh, but he, It would. But here, because... You know, and, and if you look at the novels in succession, you you have, you know, you have the birth of James Bond, which is through the death of Vesper Lind in Casino Royale, which is really where 
and I think they and we'll get to that, but they nailed that one with Casino Royale. Uh, you know, his formative experience and becoming the person he is throughout the rest of the series, and then you're supposed to have this moment. You know, his the second love of his life, who is also killed. Um, yes, but you know, it unfortunately happens in the sixth film of now a 25 film franchise and it does get referenced occasionally uh not very often it is always weird to me that they that it took so long for them to make a casino royale well there's there's legal reasons yeah i know and they have to do with our good friend kevin mcclory (laughs) again (laughs) but i appreciate this scene i like people for some reason people are very harsh on lazenby in this scene I think he does a decent job with it. No, I think he's all right in that scene. I I don't have a problem with sensitive Lazenby. I think he does that that part yeah. well. Uh, I just I don't think he plays, and I think he perhaps does play Bond more accurate to the books, mm-hmm. but he doesn't play Bond the way Bond in the films is seen in any other portrayal. Yeah, I think the closest we get is Dalton. Um, and really Dalton is the only other, maybe Craig when he's still caring about playing Bond. So early Craig, (laughs) um, really the only two other actors I could see doing this film that we've had. I I certainly can't see Roger Moore playing this part or playing this scene. Oh no. Uh, I have a hard time seeing Sean Connery playing this scene. Um, I think Brosnan might have been able to do it. Maybe. Like, you'd never see him do that in, in, as Bond, but in other films that Pierce Brosnan has done, I think I could see I could see Brosnan, the actor, yeah. doing this. Like, there's the scene in uh, The World Is Not Enough when he shoots Elektra and then has a hard time with it right, right afterwards. Yes. And that sort of scene, I could see maybe he could do this. Because mm-hmm. uh, that, that moment affected him a bit where yeah you know um you had an issue with the bullet i noticed uh the magic bullet (laughs) i have an issue with the bullet hole in the windshield being head on yeah that's a magic bullet because there's no way the angle works right for it being shot from a car speeding by but anyway okay (laughs) yeah that's my big issue with that right okay i mean i did read that they did two takes of this scene and he actually cried the first time, and Peter Hunt, the director, said, no, James Bond doesn't cry. So they did this, the version that's actually in the film. I don't know which one would have worked better, frankly. It depends on how well Lazenby can I cry, I think. it works the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, my biggest beef with the ending mm-hmm. is you have this tragic moment, and they have the lovely version of We Have All the Time in the World plays, and then they go right into the Bond theme, like over the credits. Like, that's not the right choice there. Like, that should not be... What that tells me is James Bond's wife has died, but don't worry, James Bond's going to come back and kick ass next film. That is the idea. Well, I mean, that's kind of what they did to a a degree, because I don't know how much you want to say James Bond kicks ass and diamonds are forever, but we'll find out next week. Uh, (laughs) They wanted James Bond to kick ass. They did. So, yeah, so I know you jokingly said that you thought this could be in your bottom... Or maybe you're just trying to egg me on here, that this film could have been in your bottom list of. of, of I'm Bond not films. a huge fan of this okay. film, but it is not as bad as some of the worst ones. Because you know, not to not to 
be picky or anything like i don't i i don't remember us saying that much bad about things that are going on here um you know we we had some real issues with in in thunderball and we had some real issues with stuff that happened and you only live twice uh you know we well okay we're, yeah, we're, this film isn't racist i'll give it okay, that yeah uh, yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> low bar <laughs> but i'm not a i'm still i i wouldn't say that th- this is never gonna be one of my top five bond films sure okay the the thing that holds it back for me and the and as much as i like it uh i don't watch it that often i think it's just it's a two and a half hour movie and yes and it was the longest film in the series until casino royale came along and i don't feel like casino royale feels like a two and a half hour movie no, and that's because Casino Royale is paced like a movie in the 21st century. That's true. That helps. This does have its slow But even parts, Casino yeah. Royale feels a bit long. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end, uh, it definitely feels a little long. But yeah, not not like this. Because this, this is paced much more slowly, and it does it is definitely a long movie. So yeah, that's, that's Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And I think, again, it's... I know people have a hard time with it. It's, it's certainly... I would say it's probably the most divisive movie and that people either really like it or they don't. Uh, there's not a lot of... Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, you, you it, the sense I'm getting from you is that it's it's kind of in the a middle ground film. Like, it's not... Yeah, I mean, I would not... I, I don't care for it that much, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not as bad as Diamonds Are Forever or Live and Let Die. Which we get to watch... Uh, we get to watch that in the next two weeks. Which we get Woo-hoo! to watch in the next two weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'm really not looking forward to Live Honestly, and Let Die. Honestly, I'm <laughs> the franchise continued after Diamonds Are Forever and Live and Let Die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, to their credit, like, they managed... This This is where the franchise really hit some speed bumps. I mean, they, they hire this mm-hmm. actor to do seven films, and he bails on them after the first one. And, you know, they managed to, you know, well, they bribed Connery, essentially. <laughs> they gave him a ton of money yeah. uh, to come back and do one more. And then, you know, I, I'm as bad as the story. I'm not really sure why they did that, honestly. Well, here's... That's always seemed weird to me that they brought Connery back for Diamonds Are Forever. Well, originally, I think they were going to have John Gavin, who is best known as being Vivian Lee's boyfriend in Psycho. Okay. Um, I don't, uh, that's, a, that's a movie from the... I was going to say, that's a movie from the 60s, so you probably haven't seen it uh i'm familiar with what it is but i have not seen the two movies that i can think of john gavin being in i'm pretty sure you haven't seen psycho and spartacus he plays julius caesar uh and that's really it you're right i haven't seen spartacus either again (laughs) it's a movie i'm familiar with okay uh and and i don't know why they ended up i mean eventually they gave him i think two million dollars to come back for for diamonds are forever uh and said you know you can make it was one of those things i think they said you can make whatever movie you want after this so he had got his choice of whatever pet project he wanted to do. Um, but, you know, for the quality of the movies aside, I think it's a testament to the perseverance a little bit of, you know, Broccoli and Saltzman that the franchise kept going and didn't even really hit a speed bump. Like, we're we're still talking about a movie every other year. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because Diamonds Are Forever, I think, is 71 and Live and Let Die is 73. So they're not... It's not like the, you know, when, when they lost... Uh, you know, they had issues and then uh, Dalton left and then they had to get Brosnan and there was that big gap and then the same thing after the Brosnan era where they had a long period of nothing. So, 
you know, they managed to yeah. keep cranking these films out and varying qualities. There wasn't that much gap between Bronson and Craig. What was it, like 2003 to 2006 or something like that? It felt longer than that, but maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong on my, on my yeah. dates, but I I want to say Die Another Day was definitely when I was in high school. Um, 2002. Yep. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, four years. Okay. That's not that bad. Yeah, The World Is Not Enough was 99, then 2002, and then 2006. Yeah, so I guess it wasn't too far. No. No. Okay. I mean, yes, it was a gap in the sense that there was time between them, but it wasn't... No, it wasn't... That said, there were, there was a lot of talk about the franchise not coming back at all, because MGM was... Going bankrupt. ...on the ropes yeah. at the time, and basically resulted in the death of one of my one of my other favorite franchises but oh, which was that uh stargate oh Still yeah yeah come back. that's true oh yeah it was yeah license to kill was 89 and then gold goldeneye was 95 so that's six years there yeah yeah that yeah. was the big gap yeah. that was there was some sort of dispute for that though wasn't there yeah i think there was Wasn't there some sort of legal dispute there was resulting in that yeah gap? yeah i mean they were they were gonna do another film with with uh dalton and then mm-hmm. they had to you know do away with it essentially um but i think yeah, I'll actually spend. The- Interestingly, uh, Dalton was actually considered for this movie. Yes, uh, that was something I actually wanted to say. Said he was too young and didn't want to do it. And Dal- I think he was right. Dalton must be a lot older than he looks in the Living Daylights. He mu- well, consider how old he looks now. That- yeah, yes, true, true. Be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I realize The Living Daylights was like 30 years ago at this point, but still. But, but I mean, we're talking 18 years before The Living Actually, Daylights. Actually, no, it was like 35 years. Oh, Jesus, yeah, we're ancient. I know. Um, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, eight, that's an 18 years. Dalton? That's an 18 year gap between Honor Majesty's Secret Service and The Living Daylights. So he must have been like 25. Timothy Dalton was born in 1946. Okay, so he's the same age so, as my dad. Sorry, Dad. Uh, uh, you're uh, older than my dad. Okay. Uh, he would, yes, he would have been. Uh, yeah. So in 1969, he would have been 23. Yeah, that is too young, and I appreciate. And that is way too young yeah. to play James Bond. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that was something All, I mentioned that I'd, I'd meant to say, but didn't get around to. So I'm glad we brought it up. How old? How old was George Lazenby? He was young. He was 20. Because he looks young. He definitely looked younger than Connery for sure um he was 30 oh, okay that's still young so yeah he would have been in his late 20s when it was filming mm-hmm. so yeah okay so that was a so yeah he was like 10 years he was still less than 10 years younger than connery right and then we got and then we go to Moore, who's actually older than connery yep and boy did he look it eventually eventually but in his early movies he looked way younger he did yeah uh, but we talk about how Connery looked about 10 years older than he should have, so... Well, wait till Diamonds Are Forever. Oof. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's something right. else. Thank you for listening to us this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at PodSpiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Listening to Film. So yeah, so next week we'll uh, we get the brief return of Sean Connery and Diamonds Are Forever, and then we'll kick off the Moore era in a week after that. So uh, looking forward, I guess, to that. Uh. <laughs> hey, Roger Moore is my favorite Bond. So, and I'm looking forward to revisiting his. I, I haven't watched most of his films in a while, but but that's uh, that's a ways off. Uh, but for now, <laughs> uh, License to Spiel will return next week. 
but diamonds are forever. <laughs>